Hey, everybody, and welcome back in to Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me. Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Not good at all. I'm in Baton Rouge, surrounded by LSU people. Well, on the highway anyway. Well, I did. I, I'll tell you, first of all, this uh, podcast, as always, brought to you by rockauto.com. But uh, I did see a quote from uh, Captain Yaya himself where he said that uh, – People were talking about LSU and, you know, where would you play given the the coronavirus and what – he said, look, we'll play in a pasture at midnight. We don't give a damn. And I kind of dig that. Oh, yeah. That sounds just like him. And I have a feeling he has been in a pasture around midnight, not in the not-too-distant past. Probably, um, yeah. Probably recently. And uh, I don't think he meant it as a joke. He was probably, like, super serious. <laughs> as a matter of fact, he'd probably – prefer to play games exactly like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't even think that was a joke. So, well, Jimmy, news is coming in fast and furious right now. I mean, obviously, everything is a fluid situation right now um, with everything. I mean, all all of life is a fluid situation. Uh, It probably is all the time, but there's never been more fluid than it is right now. And the ACC has come out with their – uh, plan to continue their football season. They're going to have a 10-game conference schedule plus one. Um, now, the caveat, a couple of asterisks here. First of all, no divisions. So it's going to be the te- the two best teams with the two best records at the end play each other for a championship game. Notre Dame is involved in this, and they are eligible for the conference championship. And, that is uh, that's incredible. That's a huge, huge story. Oh, it's monstrous. And then on top of that, um, they they can play a plus one. They can play somebody else, but it has to be in their home state. And what that allows for is your Florida, Florida State, your Georgia, Georgia Techs, and your Clemson, South Carolinas to maintain their rivalry. Now, what does it mean for Auburn, North Carolina? Um, obviously, they can't play in Atlanta, but – the rumor mill is swirling that it's going to be um, North Carolina is going to suggest that Auburn come up and play in Charlotte. And, you know, Auburn may be up for that. I mean, it'd be a great matchup. It'd be a lot of fun. And there's some potential money to be made. And, um, you know, these neutral site games, hey, they could be a big deal right now because I'm sure that a lot of this money is based on TV money versus ticket money, I would, I would assume. So, I mean, that may be a game that still takes place if it, only in Charlotte. You know, there's so much fascinating stuff about that. But but, but to me, the, the chief two takeaways is 10 conference games. So they're adding they're adding conference games to what, what was is normally an eight-game conference schedule. So I'm assuming they'll be adding, you know, a home conference game and an away conference game. That is uh, – That's right. That's unique. That's going to toughen up everyone's schedule in that league. I mean, because you're obviously dropping G5 and FCS opponents largely to pick up two conference games. And what's interesting is I felt sort of all along that the SEC would do what the ACC does just simply to preserve those rivalry games, Uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State, South Carolina, Clemson. I thought they would make a concerted effort to to keep those games on what this does so does this mean luke i mean what are your thoughts what is the uh 
social media opinions out there, is the SEC going to go to 10 conference games, which would just be brutal in terms of trying to get through the thing alive, COVID aside. Yeah, and uh, Ross Dillinger, who I think is with SI, Sports Illustrated, he's already had a tweet that said, essentially, the SEC has already uh, decided they're going to do this same thing. The ADs have agreed to it. Um, It's just up to the presidents now to confirm it tomorrow. So everybody now assumes the SEC will come out with the same type of schedule. Um, What else is interesting is no dates have been put on when the games will be yet. It's, they have outlined who's going to play who. And, again, I haven't looked at the schedule. I, Jim, you can probably tell I'm on the road. Jimmy's on the road. Uh, we're ironically both in Louisiana right now, but not together. Um, but So I haven't had a lot of time to study this, and that's one reason that I wanted to get your visceral reaction to this, that uh, there are no dates associated with the games yet. It's just that um, – you know who your home games are and who your away games are. But my question is, the ACC now has 13 teams in it, right? Or is it 14? I guess 15 teams in it. It has 15, 15 teams in it right now. 15 if you count Notre Dame, yeah. So if you have 15 teams in it, how is everybody going to play those 10 games? I don't understand how that works out mathematically. Maybe it does, and maybe I'm just on the road and, and sort of brain dead right now. But it doesn't seem like that would work right. I guess it will, but it seems like there's going to be an imbalance somewhere. Now, I don't know how it's going to work out. I mean, I haven't looked at it, like I said, but uh, adding Notre Dame in there seems to throw a catch. And, and again, maybe I'm just I'm missing something very obvious here. But I guess let's go back to the SEC, how this affects the SEC, because that's more Alabama-centric. Um, okay, so now the big question, if you're an Alabama fan, who, who, who are the two you add? And the, the reasoning is it's going to be Florida and probably whoever – we play Florida next year, though. But people say it's been the longest time since we've played Florida in the rotation. So it'll probably be Florida and somebody else, I'm guessing, like uh, – maybe it won't be South Carolina. We played them last year. Um, boy, will it be well, Kentucky? I- I don't know that that's going to be a fa- is is that really going to be a factor at all in terms of when is the last time I don't know. you played? I I, I I don't know that. I certainly wouldn't know. Obviously, we're obviously like everybody else. We're guessing. I, I wouldn't know that that's a factor in terms of who we would add. To to me, the simple answer is obvious: Florida, Kentucky, Vandy, South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, Vandy. South Carolina and Missouri were obviously playing two of those five teams as to which two, who knows, maybe it's drawn out of a hat for all I know. You know what? And, and that may be the fairest way to do it. And if you're, and you know, everybody says, well, uh, you know, Alabama, they should have to play Florida. Well, if you're Florida, you're like, Hey, wait a minute. We got a pretty good team. With uh, the guy most people choose as the all-SEC quarterback this year, I right. Alabama this year, unless we play him in the SEC title game. Florida may, may throw up the red flag, not Alabama. Um, but I wonder, too, I assume the SEC will do the same thing like the ACC and say it's just the two teams with the best records play in Atlanta, which I love that idea. That's the way this should be done. This East-West stuff 
needs to go away. You need the best two teams playing in there for a conference championship. There's no doubt in my mind that's what needs to happen. Um, but, man, if Alabama were to draw, say, Missouri and Vandy, the number of people who cry foul would be numerous. <laughs> I can tell you this. The rest of the league, the East teams and the West teams, they want Alabama to play Florida. Everybody's going to want that that matchup because it's going to ding one or the other. One or the other gets dinged and, and, and may not be in the uh, in the championship game after all. So the rest of the league will be rooting for that. I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, that I am, but frankly, you know, really, if you look at it, we're dropping USC. <coughs> well, sorry about that. I, I can't drive and do the cough button at the same time. Uh, if, uh, if, if we're dropping USC and adding Florida, I would agree with the idea that Florida is a better team than USC, but not by miles and miles. I mean, they're not miles and miles better. <clears throat> Maybe they're one mile better, but not miles and miles. And uh, Kyle Trask is a heck of a quarterback, but so is uh, so is Caden Slovis, you know, the, the, the Southern yep. Calculator. So I wouldn't really think it would be hugely different to Alabama's schedule if we added, let's say, Florida. Uh, it wouldn't really change things too much uh, based on the schedule we were looking at to start the season. All right, so, Jimmy, let's talk about who who do you think it will be? I mean, I know we're guessing, but I guess I, – I, I'm not, not necessarily who you think it will be. What do you think is – what do you think is probably going to happen? Yeah, I guess that's the only way – boy, I'm really botching this right now. I tried to do some <laughs> kind of segue into this new segment, and I botched the hell out of this. Um, I, I'm just – I'm trying to get – I'm trying to gather my thoughts here and, and wrap my brain around all of this. Number one, because, okay, if the SEC goes to the plus one model, are we still going to play BYU? And if we do play – here's the other thing about the ACC I didn't tell you. Um, they're going to start on September 7th. Now, when they say they start on September 7th, I don't, I don't know if that means the plus one starts on September 7th too or if the – if the plus one could be before September seventh, I don't know. You mean September? That. You mean and September? I, 5th. You mean September fifth? Obviously, right? Labor Day weekend. Well, I, maybe it is September. Maybe it is September fifth. Hang on. September Monday. I mean, I'll watch. Okay, maybe it is September fifth. Whatever. Um, you know what I meant, that, man. That was, the, um, that was the traditional Labor Day Saturday this year. It would make my Labor Day a lot more fun. I kind of Labor Day kind of sucks to me because there's only one football game, and I don't care about going on the lake or anything because I'm on the lake all the time anyway. So I'd rather if you told me the ACC is playing all their games on Monday on Labor Day, I'd be like, hell yeah, sign me up. I'm down with it. Um, that, that was going to be Georgia and Virginia, but I guess they won't play each other now. That's right. They will not. It'll be Georgia and Georgia Tech. Right, so there won't Which be was a gonna happen anyway. game on Labor Day night, but we, we knew that. We knew that was not going to happen anyway. Okay, so I, I suspect there still could be a Labor Day game. Um, right. There really could be. And, I mean, if, if one conference is smart, or if all the conferences are smart, they'll say, okay, we're going to play some games on Labor Day. Sure. 
I mean, have the whole stage to yourself or whatever. Um, but here's the other, here's another uh, asterisk in here. There are now that a lot of NFL players are opting out. Damian Williams from the Chiefs just opted out this year uh, because wow. of COVID concerns. Dante Hightower's already opted out. Devin Funchess has already opted out. There have been a bunch of people that have opted out. The Patriots starting right tackle, I think, or right guard. Um, well, now the first college player has opted out. Is a, um, I think his name is Farley, uh, a defensive back from um, from Virginia Tech, who he a lot of people project as a first-rounder. He's opting out this year because of COVID concerns. And somebody tweeted very, very quickly, hey, you know, Alabama's got six guys projected to go in the first round next year. Uh-oh. Right. Well, I think it's a it's a reasonable question, and uh, you just have to put yourself in the shoes of the kid. Um, you know, I, I think our six projected first-round picks, and, and frankly, there might be even more than that. There could certainly be more than six that believe they will go in the first round. And it's fair for them to, to make a decision, uh, you know, uh, inter, uh, you know, we, we, I don't even think we should criticize it if, if the decision that they're making is what they believe is the best for their financial future. So I think it's highly realistic. We will have players opt out because they are projected high picks. But my, my guess is we won't see that. I mean, I'll just guess right now that the Alabama guys won't. Um, because none of our projected first-round picks are absolute locks. I mean, they all have issues. Whether you're talking about Dylan Mo- I mean, Dylan Moses shouldn't opt out. He's got to prove he's healthy. Devontae Smith is going to have issues regarding his size. Uh, you know, uh, is, is Alex Leatherwood definitely a first-round pick? Because he wouldn't have been if he came out last year. So I, I think that that it's going to be uh, tough decisions for a lot of them, but I, I certainly understand them sitting down with their families and people helping them make these decisions. And uh, it is something that we should be, you know, just to pick a word, something we should be nervous about. Uh, I think it's very realistic, the first round picks and kids that have underlying conditions that we're just unaware of. I mean, you know, we've obviously had players, I can think of two or three off the top of my head. We have had players that had diabetes uh, play on our team in the past. Uh, I don't know myself that if we have anyone on the team that has an underlying condition like that, but we certainly could have players with underlying conditions. And if they choose not to play uh, because of the COVID risk, uh, you know, we just need to understand that. Yeah. And again, you can't fault the guys for not playing, but you know, again, and now this seems like old news, but this came across the wire last night as I was doing the sports blitz program I do every Tuesday. Um, and, you know, I'm with the HSA radio network, so this is concerning to me. Apparently, Barber County decided to cancel all sports for the 2021 season, the Barber County school system. And the, the problem with that, they're not canceling just for the rest of this year. They're canceling for next year, 2021. I mean, that's – man – and so that makes you wonder about basketball for next year in, in college right. sports. Right. I mean, look, and when we come back from this break, I want to tell you about something that my co-host said last night and uh, how I think his theory is actually going to fall in the opposite direction if it goes down the way he thinks. 
So, Jimmy, last night, um, my co-host on Sports Blitz, he, off air, he was like, he's sort of an old-fashioned guy. Um, and he said, look, I'm kind of for if college calls it off this year. He said, I love co-, He's a big Auburn guy, but he loves college football. And he said, but if college football called it off this year, he said, maybe that would bring everything back to a sense of normalcy um, uh, in terms of coaching salaries, you know, what a commitment means, uh, kids going to play for the school rather than for a coach to get into the league or whatever. And I said, man, I think you're way off here. I think it's the other way around. If, if schools if, – if the uh, schools decide not to play this year, there are going to be some places that don't survive. Only the strong will survive. And then when they come back, it'll be even more like an NFL system. <laughs> That's exactly right. As a matter of fact, the way I look at it, Luke, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think the opposite of what he said is, is going to be correct. If there is no college football played this fall, as I've said many times, there won't be there won't be major college football in the spring. Now, there may be FCS football in the spring, teams that don't have TV contracts, but I, I've never believed there would be big-time Power 5 college football played in the spring. So if there's not football this fall, we won't see college football again until next fall. And in my opinion, if that happens, it will be the most anticipated season in the history of football. I mean, people will be – if you have to wait that long to see your favorite college football team play or see college football at all, it would be the most anticipated season ever. Tickets would cost – and I mean, the interest would be huge. Everything would go up. Everything would go up. Ticket prices, revenue for, for ads, coaches, sound. Everything's going to go up because the anticipation would be unbelievable. I mean, the countdown to the season, like we, you know, like we do here – on uh, Unlocked on Bama or on our website, Crimson Country Club, the, the countdown would begin 200 days out, not not 99 days out. Uh, so I, 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 I agree with you. I, I think it would be hugely anticipated. We wouldn't all of a sudden decide, ah, you know what? We didn't even really like that stuff. That's the, no, it's, it's the opposite. No, and, and again, his theory was, Okay, if, if we call it off, maybe, uh, you know, the schools won't have the money to pay the coaches, and maybe uh, the kids will realize what kind of great opportunity they have at these universities. And instead of being so focused, myopic about all this, they will be more team-centric. And I said, you know, I think you're being too negative about everything here. First of all, coaches' salaries are just based on what the market will bear. And secondly, I think most kids are pretty team-oriented. Yeah, they, they have – individualism in mind in terms of making money at the next level, but no, no more so than the average student at any university uh, who is in economics or in a business class or whatever. Um, and so Jimmy, we'll bounce around here because really the story uh, will be our next podcast when, when I'm sure we'll have what the SEC plans to do and we'll really be able to dissect it then. You and I were gonna talk about the depth chart today and what's going on with uh, practice upcoming but, man, I, I, all this news today has just been too much. And when you couple the fact that the NFL has come out with their, uh, you know, their top 100 players, I think it's voted on by the players. And Julio Jones made the list at number 11. Uh, Mark Ingram made the list. Minka Fitzpatrick made the list. Uh, I'm trying to think who was the other Alabama Josh guy Jacobs. made the list. I think Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs was, like, number 72, man. That's pretty good. 
That's pretty good. But Amari Cooper didn't make the list, did he? Or yeah, he did. Amari Cooper did make the list. Um, you know, there was no Marcel Darius, obviously, but uh, I don't know that Dante Hightower made the list. And frankly, he probably should have too, um, even though he's opting out this year. I love that show, by the way, uh, due to other things beyond my control. I've not been able to watch the show, but I've taped every single episode. I think the NFL Network does a great job, not not necessarily with, with the rankings, which are, of course, subject to discussion, and that's the fun part, is arguing about the rankings, but the show itself is, uh, is outstanding. I, I really like watching the interviews. Uh, I like watching the highlight packages they put together for each player. And uh, Oh, yeah. They have a problem with the rankings. Everybody seems to, but the fact of the matter is that you know the rankings come from the players themselves, and and, and who can argue with the idea that we're going to ask the NFL players who are the best players in your league? And uh, I think we should at least respect the results, even if you want to you know nitpick here and there. But the fact that Julio is 11 is incredible, you know, because it's it, a to be the 11th best player in the NFL means you're the 11th best player in the world. But secondly, uh, I think that's down. I think Julio is ranked higher than 11 in previous years. Yeah, he should be higher. I mean, let's all be honest about that, too. I mean, there's he is an absolute freakazoid. He still kicks ass in the NFL all the time. And I talked about this and wrote about it in the paper, and I think I've brought it up on the podcast before. Uh, this doesn't necessarily uh, – is not a smooth segue. But, you know, Mark Ingram, a guy who gets killed all the time because he did – underperforming that 2009 Iron Bowl against Auburn. Um, a lot of people think that Toby Gerhardt should have won the Heisman over him, and I think that's stupid. But he did only have, and I say only because that record's been shattered now, and um, at the time it seemed like a lot, but now it doesn't seem like a lot. He only had 1,600 yards or something like that rushing for Alabama that year. But, you know, Mark Ingram is like number 62 or 64 uh, in the NFL, all-time leading rushers. If he just has a thousand yards this year, he's going to move up to like number 52. And if he can get, if he can just have a couple of decent years left, like three decent years left, where he averages about 800 yards a year, he's going to cross the 10,000 yard threshold. I mean, that's amazing. And it's yes. for a guy who is totally underappreciated. Mark Ingram's a total badass. Yeah, if Mark cobbles together, I mean, it's incredible that at his age, because he's sort of at an age where you expect he just wouldn't be as productive anymore. You know, running backs famously hit a wall at 29 or 30 and and, and just don't really produce a lot after that historically. Uh, but if Mark has two or three really good seasons left in him, he's likely going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. And what what's incredible about that is – his first season or two in New Orleans, you know, they called him a bust. I mean, they they, yeah. they weren't they, they they weren't high on on Ingram in New Orleans initially, and uh, and frankly, I just happen to believe based on what he did at Alabama in 2010, and then entering the NFL in 2011, uh, I, I don't think that Mark was was healthy in his final year at Alabama, and that bled over into his initial first season or two in the NFL. I, I think it took him a while. To get uh, to get back what he had uh, when he was a sophomore at Alabama and won the Heisman Trophy, uh, yep. but Mark is Mark is a legitimate candidate to one day be in the NFL Hall of Fame. Should he continue to produce just two or three more seasons of, of what he's been doing? 
And one other final little thing that I'll throw out there, and I should, by the way, if any of you guys are on Twitter, go check out uh, Alabama's basketball pages because the uh, the strength and conditioning coaches have put out pictures of Josh Primo, uh, his body transformation recently, and you can tell they are working him half to death. Um, he looks like a specimen right now. But uh, one other thing I want to throw out there, and this this sort of floored me too, Najee Harris could very well, assuming now we assuming we play – now I guess it's 11 games with the championship game. and do, Assuming we play 14 games, he could end up being Alabama's all-time leading rusher. And you'll have to get the band to play who to thunk it because, man, I, I don't think a lot of people realize how close he is to being Alabama's all-time leading rusher. And that's pretty amazing considering he's been kind of underutilized uh, his first three years, Now, even though he got 1,200 yards last year. And he, he has so many critics. You know, he, he has critics within the Alabama fan base. I mean, Najee is not uh, – have nothing to do with him off the field. I'm just talking about as a player. I, I don't know that Najee is universally beloved by everyone. I, I think a lot of our fans pick, pick at his game. He clearly lacks the home run. I mean, that, that, that is a fact. I mean, Najee has not hit a lot of home runs. I mean, uh, he, he's more of a grinded out you know, five, six, seven yards of carry, and he's very consistent at that. But in terms of the plays fans love to see, you know, the 40-yard touchdown, the 60-yard touchdown, the 70-yard play, uh, that's just been absent from Najee's game, and it, it, it brings about some criticism. So when you say things like Najee could end up our all-time career-leading rusher, <laughs> it really is amazing. It, it, thankfully, it's kind of like a, a pie-in-the-face his critics do they they still do that they still do pies in the face is that a thing or is that is that yeah, from the old vaudeville I mean, grew up with let's bring it back uh did you know Najee's longest run from scrimmage in alabama is 35 yards but really? he averages about he averages uh for his career like 6.2 yards a carry that yeah that's I know hard the yard, to do it's crazy the yard per carry mark is outstanding but the fact his longest run from scrimmage is 35 yards is crazy. I mean, that's the first thing an NFL scout is going to look. And that, that's why there's questions. That's probably why Najee came back to school. Because yeah, I, I, I would even call it, in terms of scouting, a glaring issue. That's a glaring number. A, a, any NFL scout looks at that is going to go, you got to be kidding me. Why? Why hasn't he had a longer than 35-yard run? Does he run like a five-flat 40? But we know that that's not true. And now he does have issues in terms, you know, I would never describe Najee as a fast back. But it's because he's 235 pounds. But, you know, Derrick Henry is a really big back, and he did hit some home runs, especially in his Heisman year. There was a lot of long-distance touchdowns for uh, for Derrick Henry, and and that's what Najee needs to add to the repertoire. If Najee, if Najee has a few big plays and and, and, and hits some homers, then, uh, then maybe we can talk about him in the first round. But, but that is a glaring – number yeah it is and that's my first thought and then i thought about it a little bit more and i said you know there's so few running backs in the nfl that hit home runs anymore though derrick henry's done it a couple of times against the jaguars both times i think one for 99 and 99. one for like 97 or something like that hard to but, do more um, than 99. although it's hard to do more than 99 yeah. but you know and i know dalvin cook has had a long run or two and adrian peterson over his career 
but you rarely see like the NFL, an NFL back go for seventy yards. Right. And that's what's so maybe Najee's a perfect NFL back already. And here's my other thing: I just thought about this riding down the road. Is Najee's longest run the run he had against Georgia in the Georgia Dome as a freshman when we put him in two a.m. in the fourth quarter? When put him in with two in the fourth quarter? Because remember he had that big long run, and that had to be about thirty-five yards. You might be right. He he was part of the freshman brigade that won the national championship in 2017. Yeah. We don't win that national championship game in 2017 without the freshmen that were playing on offense that yeah. night. To say nothing of the quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, and the wide receiver that caught the game-winning pass, Devontae Smith, uh, and then Alex Leatherwood, who had to fill in at left tackle that night because yeah. the left tackle got hurt, and then throw in Najee, who was, in fact, our most effective back in the second half of that Georgia game. Uh, yeah, Najee was definitely part of the freshman the freshman brigade that night. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember that that was 35 yards, but it might have been. And if it is, that's it. That's your answer of the longest run in his career. And it happened way back in 2017, though, though on a very big stage. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. As always, go check out all the Locked On Network shows. And uh, we'll be back Friday, and we'll be talking all things SEC schedule and depth chart and practice and all that fun stuff. So roll tide, Jimmy. Roll tide.